Headquarters to all units. Headquarters to all units. All units stand by for On Patrol with the PPD, airing now on WTBR 89.7 FM. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast locally on Pittsfield Community Television, and available on all of your popular podcast platforms. Thanks for joining us this morning. Today is Friday, July 30th, 2021. My name is Mike Wynn. I am both one of the co-hosts and co-producers of this normally weekly radio program. I'm also the chief of police here in the city of Pittsfield, Massachusetts. I'm joined in studio this morning by information technology guru extraordinaire, Mr. Gary Munn. Good morning, Gary. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm well. How are you this fine day? Good. Looks like the rain is blowing out. This may actually be a salvageable day and weekend. Let's find out about that. Let's get a check of the weather. We'll talk about a couple news items, and then we'll get into the rest of the show. All right. WTBR radar weather for the Pittsfield area today, mostly cloudy with a chance of showers this morning, then partly sunny with a slight chance of showers this afternoon. Highs in the lower 70s. Northwest wind 10 to 15 miles per hour with gusts up to 30 miles per hour. Chance of rain 50%. Tonight, partly cloudy in the evening, then becoming mostly clear. Cooler with lows in the upper 40s. Northwest wind 10 to 15 miles per hour. Gusts up to 30 miles per hour in the evening. Saturday, sunny. Highs in the lower 70s. Northwest wind 5 to 10 miles per hour with gusts up to 20 miles per hour. Weather forecasts for WTBRFM are provided by the National Weather Service. Welcome back. I've been thinking about how I wanted to how to wanted to cue this up and tee this up. And uh, I think I'm going to start with a breaking news story and get through that one and then grab a local news story because I think the local news story will help us pivot into a conversation that I want to make a regular part of our conversation on the program. So in breaking news, uh, hasn't even been reported in the news cycle yet because we haven't had a chance to do the media release. Last night, the Berkshire County Special Response Team assisted the Pittsfield Police Department Detective Bureau in Drug Unit in executing a search warrant um, at the Berkshire Peak Apartments. The subject of the search warrant was to uh, apprehend um, a suspect in a local home invasion and, again, search for evidence. we started talking last week. We've had several home invasions reported in the last week, starting with the one on two Fridays ago, uh, and including a one earlier this week where a shot was actually fired. Nobody was struck during the home invasion. Detective Bureau quickly identified a suspect. Last night they uh, determined his whereabouts, obtained search warrant, and the SRT uh, staged a successful operation where the suspect was without incident, no injuries, no damage, uh, and evidence was recovered, so more to come on that. A great job by everybody involved. In other news, uh, it's been reported uh, locally, and it was on the morning news, television news cycle. You can read about it in today's Berkshire Eagle. Very, very unfortunate um, structure fire in Pittsfield yesterday, South Atlantic. Um, family lost their home lost their belongings and um, unfortunately tragically also lost their family dog um and i just uh, this 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 story is horrible right anytime we have a structure fire in the community families are impacted it's horrible but this one just resonated and struck home and uh, i want to talk about two elements of this so the first reason uh well three elements of this actually um the first reason is that Although, you know, the city of Pittsfield is a little city uh, and we're, you know, here in the beautiful Berkshires and we'd like to think of ourselves a little bit cosmopolitan, the reality is that we are a comparatively small community and there are many degrees of connection and few degrees of separation. And so last night, yesterday afternoon, after um, patrol uh, cleared from the scene for the most part from the fire call, Officer Darren Derby, who often is with us here in studio, uh, reminded me that the family that was impacted by this fire uh, and the location, the the residence, was also the location of our first um, Hoops Not Crime Basketball Cop Foundation delivery. Uh, After after I introduced Officer Derby to Officer Bobby White, um, 
Officer White shipped some stuff up here from the Basketball Cop Foundation, and Darren was facilitating deliveries. And because I had made that introduction, he allowed me to accompany him on the very first one. We rolled out in the department's service truck and um, delivered a basketball hoop to the, the, the young men in this family. Uh, and so Darren reminded me that, you know, there was that connection. And it's, you know, I'm always struck when we're working in public safety, how often we're interacting with people that we've had some other degree of connection with. Um, and then I woke up this morning and I was checking the news and checking social media. And I was saddened to find out that not only did that, they have that connection with us in the department, but um, my friend, uh, Corinne, she is uh, the, the chef and um, her brother is the owner of Electra's Cafe. And the family is also connected to Electra's. And because the family is now dealing with this tragedy, um, Electra's d doesn't have adequate staff. So now they'll be closed um, because their staff was impacted by this tragedy. Uh, and I was happy to see that um, they're, you know, they'll, they'll figure it out, they'll pivot, and they're going to um, set something up so that proceeds from sales at Electra's can be directed to the family. And because Pittsfield and Berkshire County are so generous we talk about this whenever we do our stuff with law enforcement torture and i'm sure other fundraising efforts will quickly spin up to assist this family um, who have been displaced and so uh, we have that but the third element i wanted to talk about kind of and you you know you commenting on my casual attire this morning gary uh, <laughs> I, I have made it one of my my missions for the last couple of years to talk about mental health in public service and public safety and particularly trying to overcome some of the stigma associated with it and um you know i just you never know you never know what's going to impact somebody and so well the news articles report that um, again the the family's dog was tragically lost they didn't really report that pfd rescued the dog um and resuscitation efforts were begun. You know, and it says that you know, they were unable to resuscitate. That doesn't tell the whole story because not only were resuscitation efforts begun, but they handed that dog, the, you know, the pet, to animal control officer Joe Shaggy, who immediately climbed into the back of a cruiser and notified dispatch to notify Pittsfield Vet that they were en route with the animal, Code 3, uh, and to set up the treatment room and get the oxygen flowing. And... You know, as a heroic effort on the part of Joe, and um, you know, we thank Pittsville Vet for you know receiving the animal in an emergency. But those efforts ultimately were unsuccessful, and it was horrifying to see the visible impact that that had on Officer Shaggy. Um, you know, and so I talked to him briefly at the end of the day, and it's I I, I don't know that it would have impacted me the same way. I don't know. Um, but what I do know, and I've been there, is that if you are providing treatment to a person, an animal, and you lose a patient, that hits you. You live with that. And you never know what the degree of impact is going to be. And this one, um, it impacted Officer Shaggy. Uh, and then you can't ever think about the secondary impacts. So our other animal control officer, ACO Strack, he experienced a loss to a fire a couple of years ago. And so when Officer Shaggy was briefing him and going over the after-action report, Jack's getting a secondary impact. Um, and that stuff adds up. It adds up, and it has impact. And I've talked you know, publicly, and I've talked on the program before, about when I finally woke up and realized that some of the stuff I had experienced earlier in my career was having an impact on me and the steps that I had to take to deal with it. And... I'm not going to stop talking about that for as long as I have um, the authority of my office and as long as I have some type of channel and pulpit, I'm going to keep talking about it because I can't ask our people to step up and be honest and talk to me about what they're dealing with if I'm not willing to do the same. Um, and so, you know, that's uh, it's something that we as a profession and industry have to confront. And um, in the Commonwealth, we've been doing a good job kind of trying to surface these conversations for the last couple of years, but we have a lot more to do. Uh, I know we have officers in our department who recently have told commanders that they, you know, they were dealing with something and they didn't want to bring it up because they didn't want to be seen as weak. That's not our position. It, it, it is not a sign of weakness to ask for help. 
I was just listening to radio on the way in here, local news, and they were talking about Simone, Simone Biles and her decision. Yeah, that, that may be one of the most courageous things I've ever seen an amateur athlete do. And people are like, oh, she cost us the medal. No, she guaranteed us the medal, right? Had she chosen to compete and not been successful, it would have knocked us out of medal contention. Her decision to step away from the sport she loves to open up the opportunity for her teammate to step up guaranteed us a medal in the all-around, right? It, that was the most courageous thing she could have done. It wasn't about her ability to win the medal. It was about making the decision was right for her and her health and acknowledging that her in her compromised condition, her teammate was better, right? Good all around. All right, let's move on. Man, we got a lot of people moving in a lot of different directions, either on leave or traveling for training. It, I was looking at the calendar the other day. I haven't seen Lieutenant Traversa in at least two weeks, and I'm not sure I'm going to see him for another two weeks between time off and training. And then by the t- actually, that won't even happen because by the time he's transitioning back into work, I'll be transitioning out. Yep. So I may not see him again until September. <laughs> we got a couple. I was talking to um, one of our other commanders, and uh, it, it, I was a little concerned when I when he first said, "I'm going on this trip." I'm like, "You're going for how long?" But then I started thinking about it with uh, positive light. The fact that some of our <clears throat> excuse me, that some of our command and supervisory staff feel comfortable right now taking multi week and extended vacations is a good sign because it's a sign that they're back to some degree of comfort and um well just normalcy right that they're they're willing to just delegate to the their team and, and step away and so i was i think i was talking we were in the room when i was talking i've got some time off coming up at the end of august and it'll be the first time in 14 years i'm taking two back-to-back weeks off um I'm a little nervous about it, but I'm going to do it anyway because I've got great command staff. Um, the first year that I took, the first year that I took command of the department, I already had a two-week block of vacation scheduled for that July, so I took it. And when I got home, it took me four weeks to catch up on the work that I had missed in two weeks. So I haven't done it since. I always take one-week blocks and stretch them out. But because of some scheduling uh, issues that I didn't have control over, I have two one-week blocks scheduled, but they're back-to-back, so it'll be the first time in 14 years. Um, kind of looking forward to that, and got great command, so it's it's going to be fine. But, um, yeah, the fact that our senior command staff and supervisors are like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm good. so I'm not going to get into the details, but one of our other commanders is starting this week, well, starting this weekend, and uh, he's headed on a four-week backpacking trip. I'm like, good on you, bro. <laughs> Yeah. I I did a lot of backpacking in my young, he's older than me too so uh, I did a lot of backpacking in my younger days and I like to get out and do hikes now I'm not sure I've got it in me to carry heavy weight and sleep on the ground for four weeks anymore <laughs> um, we'll see he's he's definitely in better shape than I am so um, lots of moving parts lots of people in and out and so that's the setup for this this next little conversation that I want to introduce. So way back when, way, way back when, before I was even a police officer, I was um, working with the Resource Center down on John Street, and I was introduced to a national program called National Night Out by my friend Wendy Crome. Uh, Wendy was with Berkshire AHEC at the time, and she had relocated up to the Berkshires, I think from Philadelphia was the last place she, she touched base before she came up here. And she introduced me to this program called National Night Out. It's uh, America's Night Out Against Crime. And it's sponsored by an organization called the National Association of Town Watch. And it's just, uh, you know, it's a public safety celebration. And so 93, 94, 95, when I was at the Resource Center, um, we introduced National Night Out to the city. We coordinated it. And because we were working under the community policing grants, we were able to throw a lot of resources at it. And so we had block parties and we got, uh, you know, fire fire ladder trucks down into the park and SRT would repel off of them. And we, you know, we did for, I don't know, probably for close to 10 years, we, we did National Night Out right. Um, and then some of the community policing money started to dry up, so we had to scale it back a little bit. And then by the time I was a lieutenant, we had kind of um, 
transitioned National Night Out. We weren't really participating in the National Association of Town Watch Model One. We were doing some more individual localized stuff. So like Morningside Pride would do their stuff at the school and we would support that. But the so National Night Out is supposed to happen on one day across the country and the world. It's the first Tuesday in August. Um, and when we transitioned, it kind of started hitting moving dates. It moved to weekends and stuff like that. And then when the community policing money completely dried up and some of the stuff in the neighborhood programs or the initiatives also pivoted, we just stepped back from it. We hadn't done it in a long time. So not quite two weeks ago, I got a request from a resident, a member of the Police Advisory Review Board. Uh, he had seen some copy on National Night Out, and he sent me emails and said, are we doing this? I don't even know if we're still members of the National Association of Town Watch. I have to check because you can't. It's a it's a members only program. You have to be you have to be involved in that. So I checked and we are we're still members of NATW. Uh, but then I had another problem because the people that I would normally would rely on to put together kind of a community event, they're they're in the wind, right? They're traveling. They're on other assignments. Got other stuff going on. So uh, I was like. <sighs> This is, I can't do this by myself. Right? Can't, I can't do anything in the department by myself, but this one was a heavy lift. Um, but then I thought about it. I said, this is what we do, right? We're crisis planning, planning with little notice. That's what we do. So I started throwing some emails out. And um, first thing, disappointing, because we hadn't done any real long-term planning. Uh, we were trying to decide if we were going to be able to use Operation Copsicle, Copsicle 1, and we checked the calendar, it was committed somewhere else, you know, another community that's got more recent history with National Night Out had requested it, and we agreed to provide it. So, you know, first come, first serve, they get that. But I talked to Officer Derby, and I was like, okay, you know, I know I can't have the truck, but the other community is going to provide their treats for that night. What do we have? And he's like, oh, I got snacks. I got snacks. I got, you know. so I was like, okay, we don't need the truck. The truck is cool, but, you know, it's really about the snacks. Plus we got swag we got giveaways and stickers and tattoos and stuff like that so i said all right i'll just i'll put a team together and we'll do some neighborhood visits on tuesday the third um and so started putting the team together and last night i got confirmation so we'll we'll put some stuff out you know by social media later today about the specifics but we're gonna it's gonna be low-key it'll be our soft reintroduction to national night out but we're gonna do it and the way we're going to do it, because we don't have a, a set event planned, instead of, you know, um, a block party, you come to us. We're going to map out a route from some of our city parks. We're going to play connect the dots with some of our city parks. So we'll start in the west side, hit a couple parks in the west side, transition, go through the common. Uh, and then we're going to, you know, aim for Springside Park. Thought we were going to... Um, hit Bellinger, but there's a game going on. We don't want to interfere with the game, so we think we might substitute the skate park for that, and we're going to end at Deming. And so over the course of three hours between uh, 5 p.m. and 8 p.m. on Tuesday, a few of us will be out in some of our, our cruisers and special vehicles and uh, manage to... We got some stuff going on with the off-road unit and uh, bicycle patrol guys who have recently been qualified and trained. So we'll pull some special units together, and uh, we'll plan on visiting some city parks put a schedule out for when we're going to be there and uh, we'll pack out the cruisers with some coolers and snacks and some swag and we'll reintroduce national night out back to the city of pittsville nice yeah you can come with us if you want yeah sounds like fun <laughs> i was supposed to be at a um a social soiree in support of a local nonprofit with my lovely bride and i told her <laughs> on wednesday that I had to work. She was very gracious about it. So far. <laughs> I'm sure we'll revisit that conversation <laughs> at some point. So yeah, if you're around Tuesday, uh, we'll put up the list of parks that we're going we're gonna to be coming to visit and um, come out, see us, check out some of the equipment that we're reintroducing, and we'll go from there. Who's texting you in the middle of our program, Gary? Huh? Who's texting you in the middle of our program? I was... Uh Another conversation from earlier, ah, Brian Filio. I got it. <laughs> All the right. The elevator at the uh, city hall is broken. Oh. <clears throat> it's been broken. Yeah, I know, but they just got it fixed, right? It's broken again. <laughs> <laughs> we're chuckling about this, but it, it, we, yeah, you were with me the other day, right? So 
we're chuckling about it, um, but it's, it's not a laughing matter because if the elevator at City Hall is not functioning properly, we can't have public meetings in City Hall. It's not accessible. <laughs> so um, I know, for example, that last month, last no, this month, the police advisory review board meeting, that we had to schedule remotely because we couldn't, we couldn't get into City Hall. We didn't have enough that day. We, you know, the, the PRB members didn't have enough notice to get it scheduled offsite, so we had to go remote, which we're still allowed to do under the governor's orders. Um, but I know that you know city council has transitioned back to city hall in person meetings, right? If the elevator goes down, they're going to have to move again, yep. um, and that's a drag. But it it's also it's just an impact on the open meeting law, right? And was it you who said that uh, you know? facetiously the word was if you're going to ride in that elevator bring a bottle of water and a candy bar yeah um, it's I, and i don't know what the issue is the elevator repair company has been in there for months it's 2021 you should be able to make an elevator work i don't get it it's an old elevator it's an old building it's not as old as our building <laughs> more to come on that um so yeah there's been a lot of um interesting developments with non-enforcement like kind of community-based activities so we talked a little bit about national night out and um i'm i'm a little excited about it right i feel you know the, the first one we did in 1994 was small and this one feels kind of like oh yeah it's 1994 again we're bringing it back <laughs> um you know so we'll see where it goes from there i gotta we gotta put it on the calendar like in January or February, I get a reminder in my calendar to start planning police week activities. Obviously not for the last two years. But uh, we'll have to put one in the calendar again, you know, for February or March. Start planning National Night Out activities. And now it looks like, you know, I'm not even going to hedge my bet. Now we're going to have another one. We're going to have another um, large community activity that I was excited to learn about this week and I'm excited to share and um, start talking about. So I was asked as a member of both the Mass Chiefs of Police Association and the Mass Major City Chiefs to attend a virtual meeting earlier this week with the um, members, the, the staff, the founders of a organization and a movement called Faith and Blue. And uh, I know I'm going to get some criticism. People are going to be mad because it's going to sound like, you know, we're incurring on the separation of church and state. This isn't this isn't what that's about. Right. And there's a lot of miscommunication about separation of church and state. It, it's OK if you work for the government to, you know, profess your faith or, or talk about your beliefs, as long as you don't try to voice them on others. Right. That's that's the whole point of the separation. It's not that they can't coexist. They coexist in many many roles and we frequently support faith organizations and rely on faith organizations our coffee with a cop last month was at the christian center because we partner with faith organizations they're people of influence in the community we need them and so i had never heard of faith in blue before a couple weeks ago but it was launched last year um during a lot of the civil unrest and ironically it was being planned in 2019 long before the murder of George Floyd and the stuff that popped off the civil unrest. This was already a work in progress. And it was a recognition that, um, so they're headquartered out of Atlanta. It was a recognition on behalf of the founder, um, a pastor, that the faith community is, is a community of influence uh, in most communities and government and law enforcement is as well. And they, those two groups can achieve a lot more when they're aligned and they work together than they do when they're separated and working apart. And so the idea was that um, you would celebrate a weekend with both you know, the faith community and law enforcement community hosting events together. And uh, so they asked, they wanted to brief us. Uh, they rolled it out last year. It, was, it actually uh, was fairly well organized and, and it you know, took on a lot of legs last year. It was celebrated in many places across the country. It was only celebrated in one community in Massachusetts. Again, because I don't think most of us had heard about it. 
but they made a decision, Faith and Blue made a decision, that they really, really wanted to make a footprint in Massachusetts this year. And so they reached out for the Chiefs Association and the Mass Major City Chiefs, and they set up this joint meeting. And I just got an email this morning from uh, my friend, Chief Brian Kaisen, Chelsea. And it's, it's, you know, basically asking for a commitment from all the member chiefs of both organizations to do something, anything with this. And so Faith in Blue weekend is uh, Columbus Day weekend in October. And I haven't sent out any requests for assistance or um, participation to any of our local faith partners. But that's on my agenda to do today. And so that's a, that's a long weekend, a holiday weekend. I don't have the dates in front of me right now. Uh, but it's gonna, essentially Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And they don't dictate uh, what the events or the participation looks like. They, you know, they have things. You could do a little block party. or um, One of the things that they suggested was like a community read or a reading discussion group, which I'm intrigued by because I've been doing a lot of reading about um, law enforcement community relations, and I've got a couple titles that I'd like to explore. Um, so I th- I'd like to facilitate that. Uh, I had a request during the, you know, the, well, I was going to say the waning days of the pandemic, but let's just say during the seventh inning stretch of the pandemic, um, from a from a uh, community member, a colleague, a friend, to f- help facilitate a conversation around uh, mental health awareness and, and stigma, and so I can I can definitely see doing something um, like a community conversation around that during this weekend because I think that's a, a natural fit. Um, I haven't had the opportunity because of the pandemic to attend Sabbath services, Shabbat services at either one of our temples in over a year. So having a weekend where I can say, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go to, uh, Nesset Israel for services on, on Friday. That would be awesome too. kind of, you know, get back to some type of pre pandemic stuff. Um, we have two ministers, two pastors on the police advisory review board. So we do services with, one or both of their congregations. There's a lot of potential there. So I'm kind of looking forward to this. I'm excited to introduce this this concept and this program to our community. So Columbus Day weekend, October. More to come on that as we kind of flesh this out. You can go to um, faithinblue.org and check it out. And uh, hopefully, you know, not only Pittsville, but many Massachusetts communities will participate in this inaugural year here in the Commonwealth, and this can become a regular thing. Nice. Yeah. One more thing. Got to get out and stay com- connected to the community, right? Yep. Um, speaking of getting out and staying connected to the community, and I don't want to, uh, well, we'll introduce this, and then we'll do our station break, and we'll come back and talk about it. We had a phenomenal coffee with a cop this week. I was going to say, you had, you had a Wait a few people Phenomenal there. coffee with a cop. Um, more people than we've had in person probably since, like, the the one that we had, the cones with a cop that we had when all of the um, parents came out because of the pellet gun stuff that was going on up at Reed. Uh, and, you know, they this group didn't come out in response to any one particular incident. It was just um, a wide representation and selection. We had some downtown residents. We had some members of the police advisory review board. We had a couple people zoom in. Uh, we had some four-legged friends. We had, yeah, we had some pets come and visit us. Um, my friends, our friends, you know, friends of Pittsfield by far, but my friends personally, Chin and Sabrina, who I miss because when they, uh, when flavors closed, I don't get to go have lunch with them, uh, you know, which was my habit. They came up from Lee and brought their, uh, brought their little I think they're Pekingese. I'm not sure. Sabrina, if I got that wrong, I'm sorry. But they, they brought their fluffy little dogs with them. And uh, so they came and hung out. We had a great conversation. So it's uh, it's 928 on Friday morning. That's a good place to pause for station identification. We'll come back, and then we'll talk about coffee with a cop in a little more detail. WTBR radar weather for the Pittsfield area. Today, mostly cloudy with a chance of showers this morning, then partly sunny with a slight chance of showers this afternoon. Highs in the lower 70s. Northwest wind 10 to 15 miles per hour with gusts up to 30 miles per hour. Chance of rain 50%. Tonight, partly cloudy in the evening, then becoming mostly clear. Cooler with lows in the upper 40s. Northwest wind 10 to 15 miles per hour. 
Gusts up to 30 miles per hour in the evening, Saturday, sunny. Highs in the lower 70s. Northwest wind 5 to 10 miles per hour with gusts up to 20 miles per hour. Weather forecasts for WTBRFM are provided by the National Weather Service. Support for WTBR comes from Greylock Federal Credit Union, proud to support high school arts and sports programs to help our community thrive. Greylock Federal, with locations throughout the Berkshires and online at greylock.org. And from BeFair. BeFair is one of the largest premier human service agencies in Berkshire County. If you're looking for services for a loved one or are interested in caring for the people we support, visit BeFair.org today for available opportunities. Support for WTBR comes from Sandrini Enterprises, providing awnings and canopies in western Massachusetts. Retractable awnings, retractable screen, gutter and gutter protection systems, commercial awnings, and screen rooms. Customized solutions available online at Sandrini.com. UCP of Western Massachusetts is hiring. If you'd like to help people with different abilities lead independent lives, apply at ucpwma.org jobs. We need direct and living caregivers. Join the agency who's reimagining independence. Hi, this is Officer Darren Derby with the Pittsfield Police Department. Folks, unfortunately, drug use is a driving factor for a lot of crime taking place in our city. The most prevalent crime being theft. Please, take the extra time to ensure that your belongings are safe inside your vehicle. Do not leave anything of value in plain sight. Hide your belongings. Place them in your trunk or take anything of value out of the vehicle. Always keep your vehicle locked. Don't make it easy for them. This message is brought to you by the Pittsfield Police Department in cooperation with WTBR-FM. We're back. Thank you again for tuning in to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. I will be scolded and reprimanded by Officer Derby and our friends here at PCTV if I don't also remind our viewers and listeners that you can find archived episodes of all of our shows on all of your popular spot, um, podcast platforms. You can go to you know Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, wherever you, you normally find podcasts. Just pop in On Patrol with the PPD in your search bar, and it'll come back. You can subscribe, and you'll get notified when we upload uh, the day's episodes, usually later in the day on Friday or over the weekend. So um, I have to follow, before we get back to the Coffee with a Cop, I have to follow up on Officer Derby's PSA. Uh, if you listen to that PSA during the station break, um, you know, theft from motor vehicles, again, it's, it's a driver, and it's fairly simple. He says it, right, don't leave your valuables visible in the car. If you got to leave expensive stuff in the car, secure it. Better yet, don't leave expensive stuff in the car and lock your car. Um, you know, but we had a command staff meeting. It wasn't this week, so it had to be beginning last week. And a member of the command staff had to share that, you know, he's off duty. He was attending a, um, a sporting event at one of our local parks. And uh, when he was returning to his car in an adjacent parking lot after the sporting event, he was recognized. Because, uh, like I said, it's a fairly small community. And people are approaching him, and they want to report and complain that their their cars were burglarized. Um, so they, you know, they had been at the same sporting event, and they had parked in this non-contiguous adjacent private parking lot and three vehicles all left expensive items in plain view in the front of the car and you know they're across the street distracted by the sporting event and somebody crime of opportunity walks through sees um, purses and and handbags and other valuable items on the seats of these three cars smashes the window snatches the items and and leaves there's no witnesses and you know got information the following day all of the bags were recovered, I think, in either Adams or North Adams. But, of course, everything of value in them is gone. And, um, you know, now you've got to cancel your credit cards, cancel your debit cards, you know, get a new license, all that stuff. That's a preventable crime. Just don't leave stuff in plain view in your cars. Um, I, I can't simplify it any more than that. Lock stuff up. If you have to leave it there, put it in the trunk. All right, so... Coffee with a cop. So we were, uh, you know, Miss Miss Gregory Bellata is, uh, you know, trying to maintain the calendar and, and keep us on on track. And so she puts coffee with a cop on the calendar, and um, you know, she puts them on the calendar, and she doesn't pick a location. And so then we uh, we go back and forth and try to figure it out. And um, 
So she pops up a couple weeks ago and she's like, how about Dotties? We haven't been to Dotties. Now, she's my admin, so she doesn't sit in the operational command meetings and stuff like that. So she does, And she doesn't see all of my emails. So she doesn't know that, um, you know, I, at the... At the moment she suggests Dottie's as a location, I'm in the middle of an email thread with a bunch of other departments about some quality of life issues, essentially, in the area of North of Maplewood. And Dottie's is right in the middle of the impacted area that we're trying to do this problem solving for. And we're sending members of the department, particularly from uh, patrol or Officer Derby in his capacity as the safety officer and our crime prevention through environmental design officer to these meetings to try to figure out how to mitigate some of the stuff that's going on and the staff at Dottie's are some of the reporting parties. They're, they're some of the people complaining about this quality of life stuff. And so, you know, my first reaction is, hell no, why would I go there? <laughs> and I'm just going to invite, I'm just going to be bashed for an hour and 15 minutes. But that's not how we operate. I was like, you know what? Absolutely. Um, let's, yeah, let's do that. Right? If we haven't managed to mitigate this, they have the right to come out and question us. And if we have managed to mitigate it, this will go in a different direction. And I got lucky because, um, you know, they had the meeting the Thursday. They had the meeting last Thursday, and they came up with some mitigation strategies, and most of the mitigation strategies were implemented either late in the day Thursday on Friday or Monday. So that by the time we got there Wednesday, it, we were in a pretty good place. <laughs> so I, I was, a little, um, was a little, you know, leery walking up, walking up North Street, but we got there, and it was fine. Uh, the stuff that we were there... Um, the stuff on that side of the intersection never actually came up during the meeting at all. Um, but like I said, we did have some downtown residents, right? And it, it thrills me when I can say, you know, downtown residents, right? I mean, these are permanent residents of some of the new um, repurposed housing that's gone in in the last several years. That's a big change in the downtown footprint that, you know, it's not just people who drive to North Street to work or shop. There, there are people who are living vibrant lives on North Street. Um, and so they had some concerns. Uh, some of the concerns um, were specifically related to North Street. Some of the concerns were, we had a long conversation about Jake brakes, um, engine brakes on, on tractor trailers, which we're going to have to send some stuff to the traffic commission because that's a legitimate complaint. Uh, I'm pretty fortunate that I'm away from the highway at my house, but I can tell when somebody's Jake breaking on Route 20 because it's as far away as I am, you can hear it. I'm sure where you are, you can hear right. it. Um, technically, they're prohibited, but we don't have any notices saying they're prohibited, so we've got to start somewhere. Um, we did talk about some of the quality of life issues. There is, um, you know, it. I don't. Nobody wants to say it, right? It, there is. There is a population of people that probably don't live downtown, um, but they frequent downtown, and. Uh, they engage in, in frequent urination and sometimes defecation in, in public areas, right? Now, I saw a social media post. In many cases, we're dealing with these people, and they're either, you know, emotionally, cognitively or emotionally challenged, or they're substance abuse impacted, or they're unhoused. Um, and so we try to figure that out by working with our partner agencies. But I saw a social media post yesterday. It wasn't downtown, but a friend of mine is complaining that he's driving on a you know main road in the city and a construction worker taking a leak. Like, what are you thinking, <laughs> right? Um, and and so one of the the things that came up with this, and this was part of the conversation, the thread, the online email conversation. You know, we. I, I don't know enough about the health regulations. So the, the actual act of like public urination or, or public defecation, that's not actually a crime in the Commonwealth. It's the exposure, right? Like we charge that as open and gross. I don't know if there's a health regulation specifically dealing with that. I'm sure there is, but that's not, we don't enforce those. So, you know, we're going to charge the criminal violation. But that means we have to have a witness. We either have to see it ourselves or we have to have a cooperating witness. And so in many cases, we find out about this stuff after the fact, like somebody comes to the work and, and they come to work and they find it. it we're not going to be able to, we're not going to be able to be the, the lead agency on that. We got to figure out a different solution. In many cases, it's an engineering solution. Um, but so, you know, one particular case, one of the participants they're, they're, they had observed this, and they're complaining about it, which they should have been complaining about it, and they wanted to show us a picture because they took the time to take a picture of this person that they believed was engaged in that act. And I looked and said, 
did you call us? They're like, well, no, I took a picture because I knew I was going to see you in an hour. <laughs> well, that person's an hour gone, right? There's nothing I can do about this with the picture now. And so this is one of the things that frustrates me sometimes is, you know, you have the device in your hands, smart device, but, you know, it's, it's a smartphone. It's capable of making a phone call. We still are call-driven. It's okay to take the picture, but call us first, right? Call dispatch, get some information going, get a unit going so we can try to deal with it, and then take the picture. Um, you know, take the picture and come to a meeting 90 minutes later. Okay, we'll take the picture. Can't do anything with the picture. Uh, in this particular case, um, Captain Kirchner was there with me. He, he knew the person, right? They, they, the, the complainer actually knew the person's identity and was able to say, I'm pretty sure that's so-and-so. So we'll deal with that, right? We'll trespass him on their behalf. But it would have been much cleaner if they had just given us a call. So that gave rise to a conversation about trespass notices. So we spent a lot of time talking about trespass notices. They weren't aware that you don't need the police department to serve a trespass notice. If you know the person's identity and you know their address, you can serve them. Uh, you can either by sheriff or by certified mail. You don't need us at all. You just need to provide us with a copy after the fact so we can enforce it going forward. Um, but trespass, trespass rights are private property rights. Property owner has a right to do that. Um, we talked about some crime prevention through environmental design, so we managed to do that. We spent a lot of time talking about this uptick that we're having um, in recreational vehicle, ATV, um, dirt bike stuff uh, in the roadways. You know, normally, we deal with those in the parks and the wildlife management areas and the conservation areas, but now we're dealing with them in the roadways. Uh, we're not the only city dealing with that. But Sergeant Madalena shared with us that... Uh, you know, one, if it is some type of motorized conveyance, regardless of its propulsion, you need to have either a permit or a license. That's that's key. Um, but the other thing that I hadn't really thought about, you know, when I came up, we, we were taught to kind of gauge the size and the expectations and the requirements based on engine size, based on the CCs. Well, the new ones are electric. None of that applies. So it's it's essentially, if it has wheels and it has power and it's in the roadway, you need a permit or a license. That's the general rule of thumb. Uh, but that pivoted into a conversation that, you know, I mean, some of, some of these operators are deliberately taunting us. This isn't, this isn't an accident. They're not like, you know, taking this thing because they're going to the store or whatever. They're out there trying to attract our attention because they want a law enforcement intervention. Um, and, you know, we've had really good heads up work by officers that get on the radio and say, I can see him. He's looking at me. You know, he's trying to get me to engage. I'm not engaging. I'm following. Um, but it's, it's frustrating. So we've had a lot of very dangerous behavior by some people with these motorized conveyances over the last couple of months. And patrol has done a really good job of trying to shut them down, uh, restrict access. And then without engaging in an actual vehicle pursuit, figure out where they're coming from, where the bikes are parked, and identify some of these people, right? And so um, Sergeant Madalena, after the, the Coffee with a Cop meeting, Sergeant Madalena came to me and come to find out, patrol did a really nice job. They identified one of these operators. And based on patrol observations and surveillance and documentation and description that was going into calls for service, they tied this operator to 30 separate traffic violations <laughs> and brought the charges. Yeah. And now we're getting pushback for filing these charges. Right? This, this is a person who deliberately engaged in dangerous behavior on our city's roadways. We didn't chase them. We didn't you know, put anybody else in jeopardy. We did boots on the ground police work. We identified them and we charged them. And now we're, we're being questioned because we brought these charges. I'm not really sure what they expect us to do. <laughs> so we'll find out what's going to happen on that. That one's set up for pretrial conference, and um, we have our position on this. We know we know he was the operator. We have uh, good corroboration from multiple police sources, so we'll go from there. Yep. All right, what else did we talk about with Coffee at a Cop? I'm losing my mind. No, I wasn't there. We talked about National Night Out. We talked about the stuff downtown. We talked about the quality of life stuff. We talked about the Jake Bricks. We talked about the ATV. Oh, and then Captain Kirchner shared that because we had seen this uptick, 
Um, we, so one of the things that we deal with, we struggle with as a department is we build out capabilities and capacities. And then as we build these capabilities and capacities out, kind of day-to-day operational oversight for the capabilities, it, it falls generally to one person. So for example, right now, like the, the senior most experienced ranking member of the motorcycle unit is Sergeant J.P. Murphy. So if we need the Harleys for something, generally we communicate with Sergeant Murphy. Now we can communicate with any member because they don't need Sergeant Murphy's permission to like, you know, they're, they're certified, they're qualified, they have their own equipment, they can go get on the bike. Darren does that just because it's a nice day. Yep. Um, but if we need something from them, like we know we need an escort for this, generally we go to Sergeant Murphy. Well, we do that with all kinds of units. And what happens and sometimes is somebody promotes out or they retire or in some tragic cases we lose them. And then there's no operational oversight and so the, the capability kind of stagnates a little bit. And for us, that's what happened with our off-road motorcycle unit. Um, Lieutenant Mike Winston was the commander of that. He coordinated it when we lost Mike. Nobody really, no commander or supervisor really had a high degree of interest in that, and nobody was really paying attention. And so when we started to see this uptick in this type of activity on the roadways this year, you know, we look around, we're like, get the bikes out. And then we realized nobody had been paying attention. So the bikes hadn't been maintained last year. Nobody was using them during the pandemic. Um, several people who normally rode had retired. A couple people who normally rode had promoted and had no interest in riding anymore. And we had some new people who that could step up. They were eligible to ride, but they didn't have the necessary equipment. And so Kevin Kirchner came to me, I think in March or April, and he's like, you know, I want to do this, but you know, budget's tight. And I was like, just put a proposal together. We'll make it work. And so we started, um, you know, putting a proposal together. And as soon as we freed up some funds for this year's budget, uh, we started, well, one, we got the bikes maintained. And two, uh, we started getting some equipment in for the off-road unit. And so that was one of the things that the captain shared in response to the conversation about this uptick in activity with these dirt bikes and pocket bikes, whatever. Is the off-road unit is up. Um, the equipment for almost everybody is t- two guys waiting on shirts. Uh, the equipment is in, so we'll be able to start. They're going to be with us on Tuesday for National Night Out, one of them at least. And um, he made some decisions. So under under Lieutenant Winston's guidance, the guys look sharp. That you know they really did. Lieutenant Winston put a lot of time and effort into kind of designing that uniform. Um, but they weren't readily identifiable as police, and sometimes we were getting you know calls on our own guys as they were patrolling. <laughs> so the the captain made a game day call, and uh, he changed out the uniform, um, high vis, highly recognizable label, you know, helmet labeled front sides and back. So they're they're clearly going to be no you know identifiable as the police, uh, and they'll be getting out starting if not this weekend, definitely next week. So excited about that. All right. That's about all I can remember from Coffee with a Cop. Maggie took notes. I didn't take notes, so I don't remember. Um, oh, no. And so um, the, we ended up Coffee with a Cop because our co-responder, uh, Ariel, was with us. And so the, a lot of questions were directed at her. And so she did a really nice job of representing uh her, you know, her involvement in the department, some of the frustrations and some of the challenges that they face in working alongside of us. And she she and I were happy to share that uh, she's in the process of training up and onboarding her new partner, Tessa, because using the funds that were repurposed in last year's budget and in close cooperation with the Breen Center, we actually managed to double the co-responder capacity within the department as we came online during this fiscal year. And I keeping my fingers crossed optimistically, uh, the Breen Center is continuing to look for qualified and capable uh, clinicians, social workers who want to work with us because they think that given the current budget, we can actually increase that more. So uh, we doubled the capacity and we're looking to increase it by even a greater capacity. So more to come on that. And that was pretty much the end of Coffee with a Cop. We had it outside. I saw that. I saw the pictures. And that wasn't necessarily the plan, but Dottie's was so busy when we got there, there wasn't any way we were going to be able to, like, coordinate a table that we could all sit at if uh, 
if it, 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 it wasn't going to work. There were so many people and so many people in line that we weren't going to have enough space if we just waited for somebody to get up and leave. Yeah. So we went outside, which was awesome. It was beautiful. So that was cool. All right. Um, we got about 11 minutes left. So let's, uh, let's wrap up because you've been very, very quiet over there. You're just running the soundboard, playing the PSAs. But you've got a lot going on. You've been busy. We talked about this briefly last week. So um, a lot of changes on the website. Yep. And uh, I saw that another month's worth of city stat went up. Yep. We so get that's. The, we have a July. No, we have June and May. Yeah. June and May. Um, so city stat is being updated. That's going up. The open data portal stuff is up and being updated. Um, that's kind of exciting. We still got to fix the demographic thing, but that's a <clears throat> that's a process. Speaking of the demographic thing, we haven't really talked on the show about the personnel changes, right? So, um, lots of personnel changes that occurred kind of like in the middle of the the annual fiscal year closeout and beginning the new fiscal year, and I'm not sure we've talked about all of them on this show. So, um, it, probably going back. If we go to the first one, uh, Officer T.J. Bowler went to the detective bureau or to the drug unit as a full-time drug investigator. Um, we probably talked about that, but that was in the tail end of the fiscal year. Yeah. And then subsequently, Officer Sean Garropy became a temporary sergeant going into the tail end of the fiscal year, anticipation of some vacations. And then... We hit the fiscal year, and we had a couple of retirements, including Sergeant Gary Belknap and Detective Glenn Savello. So, Officer Cody Savello slid into the position being vacated by his father and was uh, assigned to the Detective Bureau as a detective. He's being moved, that slot is being moved from the drug side to the major crime side, so he's actually working out on the bureau, not in the drug unit, which creates a new vacancy in the drug unit that Sergeant Strout and Captain Trevani are hammering me to fill. <laughs> Working on that. While we were in the process of doing all of that, because uh, Sergeant Belknap retired, Sergeant Garropy became permanent sergeant. So he slid uh, into the position vacated by Sergeant Belknap. And Officer Callahan was promoted to temporary sergeant in the position vacated by Sergeant Garropy, which is actually... Um, Sergeant DeSantis's position while he is recovering. And then Officer Matt Farnham lateraled in yep. from the Abington Police Department. And we, we need to invite him here next week. Yeah, we probably should get him out here. Yeah. Um, so all kinds of stuff going on. All kinds of stuff going on, all kinds of personnel moves. Um, so it probably was a good thing we didn't fix the demographic information before we got through that spate of personnel moves because we would have to redo it all. Uh, it's always changing. It's constantly changing. And people are moving everywhere. All right. Um, what else is going on with technology? Uh, let's see. Well, next week we're, uh, we're taking a simulator on the road to the academy. I wish we could bring the simulator in here. All right. We need to do a remote. Yeah. We need to do a remote show. So we'll need somebody here on the board, but we'll broadcast from the station in the simulator. We can make this work. We, uh, I think uh, our next open house we do, we should set it up. And We're working on one. We're working on one. Have it up in the open house. Yeah. Um, so the simulator, we've talked about the simulator a lot in the past. So we won't get into details about that. We're pretty excited about it. But it is portable because we went with the VR one. So you're taking it to the academy, right? Yeah, we're going to go down Monday, and training is Wednesday and Thursday. So I know I asked this when you told me about it, but I still don't understand. The academy has a fully functional Milo room. Ours, why? Ours is better. Why are we taking them our simulator? Our, ours is, uh, it's, it's, I think it's going to be more, more useful as a training tool. It's got more. It's got more options. Yeah, more options, more realistic. Did we talk about the bridge jumper scenario last week? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm very excited about that. <laughs> I'm very excited that our officers are literally telling us it, during debriefs and after actions, I remembered the scenario because that's proof that it's working, right? So, I, I, don't, I don't know the gentleman's name that's in charge of the academy. I, 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 Director Wilkowski. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's excited too. 
he, he's seen it last year when we were running yep. it. Uh, I spoke to him earlier this week, and he's excited to have it there. So I think one of the coolest parts of so the from my perspective as a trainer, one of the coolest parts about this simulator, yes, it is a judgmental use of force simulator. That's what we were shopping for. But because we went with VR, it's so much more than that. So it's also a basic marksmanship training simulator, right? You can do just, you know, target lanes. You can do that 360 quarry thing with yeah. the with the steel targets. Uh, so you can work with somebody from the very basics. Then you can get into some of the judgmental use of force. But the company that does this, they didn't build out just use of force simulators. Some of it is judgmental, no use of force, including the bridge jumper scenario, yep. right? That doesn't require any force options at all. That just requires good communication skills and empathy. And then it goes up from there, right up, right up to including active shooter type stuff, which is the one that I ran into the wall with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the latest scenarios have been focused about de-escalation. Yeah. Um, and unlike... Range 3000 or Milo, as, well, as of last week, because you got the wraps, right? You got the polo wraps? Mm -hmm. So now every every force tool on the belt except the baton. Yep. All of it. Taser, OC, firearms, polo yep. wrap. And and we're, we're actually moving past that because we're going to get less lethal. That's right. Handgun, long gun, shotgun. Um, and even though they don't have a baton simulator tool there's nothing to prevent you from taking your baton off of your belt during the simulation no. it just won't interact with the scenario right. but the instructor could branch it right you draw the baton the instructor could have the subject comply and, and that's what's nice you know nikki nikki's there she, she's running the scenario with me um we get to pick the options of right. uh you know which way which direction the scenario goes in and i haven't been through it since we were on second street so i probably need to get back on there yeah, that's right. You were you were running the show downstairs when we were. Yeah, I was the running the live scenarios while you were running the simulator upstairs. Yeah. All right. Um, and so I also saw purchase orders. Purchase orders are coming through, so we're standing down one intelligence platform to expand another one. Yeah. Uh, and the reason we're standing down the current intelligence platform is our in-house infrastructure, particularly. Power BI and ArcGIS have improved so much that our internal capabilities are actually better than what this vendor was providing us. Yeah. So Intel's going to get better, and we're going to eliminate a suite, which we almost never do. Um, so they'll go away, and then we'll stand up our internal stuff, and then we can expand the capacities of the one that we've been using, kind of the entry-level version. So Intel will get much better because we streamlined some technology. Yep, I got to set up a meeting with my boss so we can uh, get that up and running before September 30th. And That's pretty exciting. Yeah. All right, so we've got about three minutes left. What's going on for the weekend, Mr. Munn? Going camping. Going camping. Every weekend we go camping. <laughs> if you're always going camping, and I, I think that that's awesome, but if you're always going camping, what's happening with the boat? Uh, the boat's just sitting at the house right now. We'll put it up for sale. But actually, it is, it's up for sale. Right. We'll look for a bigger boat next Looking year. Looking for a bigger boat. Yeah. You know the definition of a boat, right? Yeah, I okay. do. Just check and, it. Uh, and I've spent it. Yep. <laughs> yep. For our viewers and listeners, if you don't know, the definition of a boat among boaters is a black hole in the water that you pour money into. Yep. My, my wife knows that. Honey, it, honey, I need more money. That... That is one of the reasons that my strategy for my involvement in boating and sailing for my entire life has been not to buy a boat, but just to have friends with boats. <laughs> yep. It's a much more efficient way to get on the water. It hasn't worked out for me in the last couple of years, though. I, currently, you know, I have colleagues with boats. I don't currently have any friends with boats. Um, all right, so... My, my wife just texted me, no more money. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just excited to know she's listening to the show. Yep. That's awesome. Um, so I got to train a little bit. Uh, I'm not going to be able to do my regular Saturday training day because uh, we have to travel. It's it's summer birthday weekend cookouts at my in-laws. So my lovely bride and I will be traveling to visit the fam. Nice. So that, well, except it cuts into my jujitsu. <laughs> I'm going to make it up somewhere else. It's going to preclude Muay Thai and cut into my jujitsu. Yeah. But that's okay. You got to. You got to invest in the relationships, too. All right. You have been tuning in to On Patrol with the PPD. 
here on WTBR 89.7 FM. It's, looks like it's going to be a nice weekend to get outside and do some stuff. Um, there's a lot going on in the community. We're not going to... Oh, I didn't apologize for cutting off Glenn and Cultural Pits... <laughs> Jen and Cultural Pittsfield at the beginning of the show. I'm really sorry about that. That wasn't us. That was the automatic switch. Uh, Jen, I apologize. We didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, but we want to thank you for tuning in and joining us every week for On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. We'll be back next week with another new episode. Until then, be well... Be safe, be kind, stay healthy. We're 10-8.